1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow. Rob Snow White, and I teach people to catch fish that they throw back in the water. This is my podcast. I'll admit, I didn't know much about Tom Rowland before this episode. I see his podcast is constantly top-rated in iTunes and podcast charts. I may or may not have seen his TV shows before. But now that I'm part of Waypoints, I plan on finding out more about my TV and podcast co-hosts. This should be the first interview with Tom, as we get to know him in this episode, and hopefully the next one, we tell more fishing stories. We're going to talk about the perils of fly fishing and fishing for tarpon at Florida Keys Marinas. We'll introduce the term lead hackle. We share stories about falling in the water and what cookies are good luck on a boat. Nothing in this episode is too inappropriate, but if you want to hear my gross conversation with Alexa, be sure to listen to the entire episode. This podcast episode is brought to you by our friends locally at Ioba, makers of premium no-sugar South African recipe beef snacks that are a better-for-you snack company. They offer the USA a more delicious and nutritious alternative to gas station jerky. Vion and the crew craft their products, Biltong and Drovers, right here in the USA using their own authentic South African family recipe and with premium ingredients like 100% grass-fed beef, voted best meat snack 
by the Today Show. And you know Al Roker likes to eat. Now offering beef sticks in one-ounce sizes in traditional, spicy, and garlic and herb. If you want to get in on the Biltong game, you can invest in IOBA at republic.co forward slash IOBA. So don't settle for cheap meat with sugar and spices to cover up how bad it is. Head to your local Whole Foods for IOBA products today. Visit IOBA.com for more information and be sure to contact Vion about possibly investing in the company. Time is running out. All right, so Tom, where are you today? I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee today. Chattanooga, is that home for you? It's where I grew up, and um, we spend uh, spend a good bit of time up here. My parents are still here. My kids went to school up here, so yeah. Okay, and I'm sure you got some cicadas coming out right now? Yeah, they're uh, that, and um, there's this mayfly hatch, uh, these huge brown drakes on the lake. That's about to happen, too, uh, which is pretty oh, cool. Yeah, they're cool. huge. They're the biggest ones I've ever seen. But this this lake up here, Chickamauga Lake, gets it, it. I mean, it has a really good population of those things. So fish love those. That's for sure. Yeah. And since you are somewhat of a celebrity, is there a normal person, a non-famous person that you look like? A non-famous always, person that I look like? Yeah, we always do it the other way around. Well, I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have somebody that people are like, man, you look like that one dude. Now, when I was younger. For a short period of time when um, Jeff Gordon was really popular in the NASCAR circuit and I was running marathons and I weighed about 40 pounds less than I do right now, I had a slight resemblance to Jeff Gordon, I was told. But I wasn't a NASCAR fan, so that always they're always like, you kind of look like that Jeff Gordon guy. I was like, who is that Jeff Gordon guy? Is that right. good? Bad? I don't know. <laughs> awesome. So how would you get into all of this? So you're a Tennessee guy. How would you get into fishing and, and start your life as an angler yeah well i started with my my dad started fishing with me when i was a little kid fishing and hunting and just general outdoors i stuck with that for a long time and then i guess about the time that you get your driver's license you find that girls are somewhat more interesting than fishing for a short period of time and then when i got into college for whatever reason i got really interested in fly fishing and it was the second year of college that i went out to yellowstone national park i got a job in yellowstone national park as a room attendant which i still say is the best job i've ever had that was a job that it, i was very fortunate because the year that i went there there were too many room attendants and so they were kind of like well would you want to work only four days a week and have three days off and i was like yeah that'd be awesome that's exactly what i want to do and just got out there it was in the heyday of the yellowstone river and i I was working at lake hotel and i could just walk or 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 hitchhike or or borrow a friend's car and go down to the yellowstone river and just see this incredible fishing down there and i got really hooked on it and the next year i went to the uh joe and Vern bressler had a uh, a guide school that was called the western rivers professional guide school and you know i didn't know anybody that was a fishing guide i didn't have any ends in the fishing world whatsoever so that was a good opportunity for me i went there joe hired me right out of the school and ended up working in in jackson wyoming for uh, seven summers after that mostly on the south fork of the snake river the snake that runs through the the uh, teton park 
we had a permit for the entire Yellowstone National Park, so I'd fish up there some. And uh, the Green, the Teton, the, the Orvis Spring Creeks down in in uh, Wyoming, and uh, you know other few other little little places. But for the most part, it was the South Fork of the Snake River, which was the 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 beginning of of everything for me. You were pretty spoiled when you started off fly fishing. It was. I was very spoiled. Um, the, I just had Ed Emery on on uh, on my podcast, and we were talking about where the South Fork is today, and it's really an amazing river. But there were that that was a real special time. Almost every almost every fish we caught there was a cutthroat. And when I started guiding, I mean, all those years I got it out there, we didn't nymph much. We fished almost entirely dry flies. And that was cool. I mean, people came there just to do that. And really, you could have caught tons of fish on nymphs and streamers and everything, but there was just really not a need to. You just just dry fly fished all the time. I mean, it was it was awesome. I don't want to age you, but was this before or after the Chernobyl ant came around? Uh, it was before the Chernobyl ant. And it's interesting because uh, on the podcast I just did with Ed, he guided on the Green River and the South Fork. And he was fairly responsible for bringing the Chernobyl ant north um, and and introducing it to those Rocky Mountain rivers up there. So either thank you, Ed, or not thank you, Ed, depending on your opinion of foam flies. You know, the Chernobyl ant was, (laughs) that fly was pretty cool when it first came out, you know, because um, it worked really good. I mean, like fish just moved for that thing. But, yeah, I mean, before the Chernobyl ant, before a river runs through it, before the Gore-Tex wader, you know, all of that kind of stuff happened about my second or third year of guiding, and it changed everything, all of those things in a in a perfect storm, like that movie. But then, you know, it was just more comfortable to fish. You had better equipment. Rods started getting better. Fly lines started getting better. It was more user-friendly to to the beginner. And there were lots of beginners because lots of people saw that movie and wanted to come. And uh, really, we saw. I think. I think when we when I first started, we had about six or seven guides at Wrestler Outfitters, and then after that movie, we had twenty seven guides. So I mean, it made a, an amazing difference. And it was like the six guides before were working, you know, four or five days a week. The twenty seven guides after the movie were working every single day, and it made a huge difference. I mean, big difference. Yeah, I was working fly shops in the late 90s, and it was still the influx from that movie. People were still coming in. Yeah, well, and, and for, my, for my career, there was like this, this delayed part for, that was still kind of surrounding that movie. Like you had this big influx of anglers that came, and they wanted to, they wanted to fish the Blackfoot River. Or they wanted to fish something that looked like what was in the movie, and they ended up in the, you know, coming to Jackson, Wyoming, because it's beautiful, and it's a tourist destination. And so we got tons of those kind of people. And then, you know, I was a young, hungry guide, so I tried to groom every one of those people into a, uh, into a repeat client because I didn't have any clients. So you'd teach them well, and then they'd come back the next year and the next year and the next year, and then they were kind of ready for something else. And that was how kind of I seeded myself in saltwater, too, is I would just take those same people and say hey if you like this you you would love coming down to key west and they did and that's how i that's kind of how i got you know at least my first few trips down there was the same people that were kind of 
uh, inspired by that movie. How'd you go from the Tetons down to Florida? I, I would say that it's because I'm such a wimp and don't really like cold weather. So I wanted to fish all the time. That was my that was my dream. I, when I first got into guiding out there, I, I kind of thought it was a summer job. I kind of thought it was something that, you know, was, was cool to do in the summer. And I didn't know that you could be a professional fisherman. I didn't, I didn't know that. I just had never been around someone who was a professional guide or a professional fisherman or I just didn't know that. I hadn't even taken very many charters or very many uh, trips, you know, fishing trips. Like my dad and I would go, but it was just me and him. We didn't take guides really. So when I got out there, I was around people like Bill Happersett and this guy, Chris Patterson, who was raising a family and he was a fishing guide. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I've left, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going out in the summertime. Um, and so when I go back, you know, all my friends are like trying to get a real job and they're asking me like, when, when are you going to get a real job? And I'm thinking, I think, I think I kind of have one. Like how much money did you make this summer? And they're like, Oh, you know, I don't know, $14 an hour or whatever. And I'm like, I, I don't, I think I have a real job. Like yeah. I worked every single day this summer and I, you know, and I, I seem like I'm, doing okay but it was a real hard thing to kind of get my arms around because I was getting that from a lot of people I didn't get it from my parents my dad was kind of like man you it seems like you're doing all right you know you're you're still working for someone and you're only working about a hundred days a year or a summer but as a young person you know I felt like I was doing okay and then several three years and four years into it I'm around enough people that are making a living being a professional fishing guide that I was kind of like, I think this is something, I think this is a career path. Like, I think you can be a professional fishing guide. Talk to my parents about it. Talk to my dad about it a little bit. And he was like, okay, well, if you're going to be a professional fishing guide, you're not going to be able to make it on a hundred days. So you're going to need to figure out what you're going to do in the wintertime. And so I started thinking about it and, you know, everybody that I'm around was, staying in jackson all year round they were building houses in the winter or they would be a snowmobile guide in the winter or they were a school teacher in the you know for the rest of the year or they had some other gig and they would fish all summer but they would do other things and i wasn't that interested in that and the cold yeah the cold i wasn't interested in hammering nails in 20 below and that's what most of the guys are doing i mean it's a hard place to live out there and those people are very tough I was always kind of looking for how could I fish year round? And I started thinking about Patagonia, Argentina, you know, Southern hemisphere kind of places that also had trout, had no idea how I was going to make that happen or no connections whatsoever. But there was a connection to the the Cayman Islands. And there was a a place on Little Cayman called the, the Southern Cross Club. And the Southern Cross Club had a relationship with Jackson Hole for some reason. I don't know. Many Jackson Hole guides, uh, Carter Andrews worked down there, Bucky Buckenroth worked down there, Burley Fox worked down there, and probably, and Joe Bressler also worked at Little Cayman at the at the Southern Cross Club. So Joe was kind of like, you know, if that's something that you're interested in, we could probably, you know, I could introduce you to those people or whatever. So we went down there to check it out. My girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, went down there and it was pretty rough like it was very very small very rural very small 
about 20 people on the island and just just didn't seem like something that was going to be sustainable for our relationship <laughs> and, and luckily i was wise enough at the time to realize that that was an important part of that decision so on the way back we go to key west and visit my friend simon becker and simon had come out and fished with us out west and and so there was an invitation to come and see him in key west so we go there we fish with him we go to the marquesas for the first time i've ever been there and see a permit for the first time like a big one man i was just like what is wrong with this place this is amazing like how could i possibly make it work here and through the help of simon and and uh, another guide michael pollock and jeffrey cardness and few other people they made it possible that you know there's a you could do this like if you wanted to you'd need to get your captain's license you'd need to do all of these other things you need to learn the water you need to develop respect from the other guides of which at the time there were only 18 skiff guides in key west so it's a much different world than it is now i don't uh, it would be very hard to start today i think you know you got to develop the 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 respect from the other people and that is at that time it was time on the water I mean, that's that's how you did that. And if you didn't do that, those guys wouldn't give you any, any – they wouldn't give you the time of day. So you just spend a lot of time on the water and start learning and try to stay out of everybody's way for a while, for a good period of time. And occasionally here would come a trip. You know, you'd start getting a trip here and there. And, and there, was a, there was an opportunity for a young – for a young, hardworking guide at that point because there were a lot of customers that – you know, with only 18 guides down there, there were way more people that wanted to fish in Key West than that. It just seemed like a pretty intimidating landscape when I first showed when I first showed up there. But it probably wasn't as intimidating as I thought it was. You had to deal with all the you should have seen it back in the day when you got there, of course. Yeah. Stories. What are people going to say in 50 years about now? Are they going to say, oh, I remember back in the day? Yeah, well, I think that like last year, I think we were living the day, you know, COVID year, the keys are closed. Lots of places are closed. The fishing pressure went to almost zero. That's one for the books, you know, that that was that was pretty incredible. And I do think I do think that you you hear that now. And even I even I start I, I try not to be that that old guy that says that, because when people were telling me that, like, oh, you should have seen it back in the day. We'd catch five or six tarpon easy, no problem, every single day. And I'm thinking, well, we just caught five tarpon today. So, like, maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe it's not that the fish aren't there. Maybe it's that you got really set in your ways and the fish aren't in that little milk route that you did. But they're still out there and we're still having amazing fishing. And, and it's really a great thing. But I just think that maybe you, you know, just with all respect... I think that maybe these older guys were just kind of closed-minded to new techniques, new opportunities, new ways of doing things, new areas, and you would just see them fishing in the same place, complaining about that it wasn't as good as it used to be. Those spots weren't as good as they used to be, but there were plenty of other spots that were great. And so today I try not to be like that. Like <laughs> you take a guy like – I don't know, Richard Black in the in the Keys or Jared Raskob. Those guys are crushing it, man. They're catching more Grand Slams. They're catching more tarpon, more permit, more bonefish than, I don't know, than maybe anybody. I mean, they've got better boats. They've got better equipment. They've got better anglers. They've got everything's better. And they're finding the fish, and they're catching them, 
even with more boats on the water than there than that there there ever have been. So I I think that people are going to you know say these were the these were the heyday. But you could say the same thing about when I first started down there. I mean, I could go all day and never see a boat. I mean, you can still do that, though. If you fish the right time of the year, you know, you, you don't see that many people on the shoulder seasons. But, you know, right in the middle of tarpon season, yeah, there's a lot of people around and jet right. skis and everything else. So once you settled down there, did you start doing summers back in Jackson or were you staying in the Keys? Did that for We did that for... Uh, there were seven summers spent out there as our as my wife and I started getting more serious about, you know, getting married and things like that. She only asked one thing and she was like, you know, we got this whole vagabond thing going on. All I want to do is can we just live in one place? It can be Jackson. It can be Key West. But let's just live in one of those places because we were planning on raising a family. We were planning on, um, you know. There's a little nesting going on. I respected that, and and honestly, I was kind of ready for it anyway. So to pick between the two, it was an obvious choice for me that Key West was it. I love the Rockies. I love trout fishing. I love everything about it. Not crazy about the cold, but I love the 365 potential day fishing season in the right. in the florida keys so if you're you know for me i was like if i'm going to make a career out of this that's definitely where i need to go there's plenty of tourists the fishing's great and there's you know i could you know I, and i did for about 10 years i was fishing 300 days a year and you know you can make a living like that you know, even if the fishing is great in some other places it's not a real tourist destination like key west or jackson so not only do you have to have the good fishing, but you also have to have the influx of people that, that want to go. And, you know, talking somebody into coming to Key West is not a, it's not a difficult thing. Like, that's where somebody's wife wants to go. That's where somebody's family wants to go. That's a cool place to go. So there's plenty of tourists and plenty of anglers. And so that's, it was a pretty easy choice for me. My in-laws are there now. They're in, or where are they staying? They're staying in Key Largo, but okay. they don't want to drive south to see other keys right like well that's a you know 50 mile drive so they're just sitting there complaining about the heat and i guess my father-in-law has been catching grunts and trying to eat them uh i don't even know if those are edible yeah no no the grunts are really edible there's a place in uh there's a place in key west called grunt bone alley that's where during the depression that's what the people caught and they ate grunts and the whole alley was full of grunt bones and that's what it's called to this day grunt oh, yeah. bone alley but yeah grunts are good to eat you know snappers are too groupers and stuff like that but the grunts are definitely good but the keys are you know it's it's kind of funny it's almost like going to yellowstone national park like if you if you hear somebody talking about going to yellowstone national park it's like yeah we, we plan today we're going to spend in yellowstone <laughs> it's like okay that's a really big place and in one day you're going to see like you're either going to be in the car all day and see very little or you're going to get to go see one or two places and the keys are kind of like that you know the keys are a group of islands that are it's 150 miles long so between the between where your your in-laws are and key west that's 150 miles and a lot of that is 30 and 45 mile an hour speed limits so you could probably get from where they are to key west faster in a boat honestly than you can by car and so a lot of people don't want to drive and the people that live in key west you know there's a there's a pretty good resistance to going up the keys like no we're not going up the keys like we'll stay right here in key west or 
not at all. But we're not driving to, you know, marathon to eat dinner. Like there's there's just no reason to, even though it's an hour away or or whatever. The people just don't want to do that. You know, the, the traffic can be ugly. I'm trying to send them to Robbie's so yeah. my father-in-law can go feed some tarpon and. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Well, he should be able to find a few other places up there, and I don't know where. But right now, this time of the year, if he went to any marina, any marina where there are working charter boats and they're coming in and cleaning fish, there's going to be tarpon at the at the, at the, the fish cleaning tables. Uh, are any of those places, are you allowed to fish for them? Or is that just some, not cool? Some. It's kind of, it's kind of frowned upon. Really, uh, it's not so much that people don't want you to fish for the tarpon that are there. I mean, as far as the marina owners and the, and the charter captains that are there, I don't know that they really care if you were to catch a tarpon there. But one of the things that happens is you have a lot of... Uh, it- Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Boats like a, a, a Viking or whatever. It's got a it's got an underwater drive. The prop is underwater. You can't lift it up out of the water. You hook a tarpon. It goes around the prop, you know, and 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 that line when you're going can cut the seal there, and you can lose oil out of your lower unit. So that's a major problem. That's a major problem, and you don't want that to happen. You can it can also get caught around the outboards, and a tarpon can also jump into a boat so you have a green tarpon the first jump it comes out of the water and lands in somebody's skiff or their offshore you know center console boat it'll tear the thing apart it'll kill the fish it'll tear the thing apart it makes a horrible mess so there is resistance to fishing at the marinas and their pets i mean their pets you know so i don't know i mean it's really tempting when you've never caught one and they're I mean, there they are, and, you know, you want to, but there, there is a reason why they don't want you to do it. It's kind of like we've got Huntley Meadows Park south of D.C. It's a man-made boardwalk through a man-made swamp. It's full of snakeheads. You can only look at them. You can't, really? can't go and fish there. Can't fish there? No. Oh my why? God, what I would do to be able to fish there. Why wouldn't they know. let you do that? I mean, that's an invasive species, right? Yeah. So it and seems most like people they don't even see them. There. They're right next to the boardwalk. Huh. Well, if you want to fish for those, they they got them in the in the Everglades, and you can walk along the all, all those areas too. And some people know that way better than I do, but they do catch those snakeheads. And the guys that fish for them, you know, they 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 say that you know they're they're pretty smart fish, you know. So they they up there where they're not getting fished to, they probably that'd probably be an awesome place to fish. But I don't know why it's they wouldn't only, want you to fish for them there. I would think they would be mandatory. Take those them out. Fish- they come up they're conscious we've been fishing you know shad for the last month and they come up to breathe they look at you and then they go back down they'll make eye contact yes yeah. it's, it's weird are they big some thir- we had a 30 incher yesterday at our feet the wow. problem is you got guys snagging them with alligator hold on let me show you oh, i gotta be careful with this so they're using these giant alligator lead, hooks. lead hackle yeah lead <laughs> hackle so they're using these to snag them Huh. Uh, so we were the only people on the river this past week actually fishing. Everyone's either using cast nets or snagging. 
Really? And it's odd. It's federal. It's it's a national park, and nobody comes to patrol it. You can do whatever you want down there. Really? There are toddlers in the river on Sunday, and I call the cops. I'm like, you need to get down here, and no one shows up. Really? That's crazy. So, well, I guess it would. I guess you can fish right by the boardwalk yeah. <laughs> if if they never show up. Right. So, how did you get into multimedia? So you got into some TV shows. Yeah. How'd that come about? Because um, well, my whole life, people have always said, I need a camera crew following me just because I'm not normal and I just get into things. <laughs> you need a camera crew following you because you're not yeah. normal. Well, that's the world of the YouTube star that we live in right now. Right. right? So, like, yeah, you can you can do that. There's uh, you, you can certainly do that. When I first started with the TV, that was not possible. And it's kind of funny because we're talking about a time that was not really that long ago i mean i've been doing this for almost 20 years on on tv but in the scheme of things that's not really that long i mean bill dance has been at it for almost 60 years and and lots of other people have been on tv a lot, lot longer and and really paved the the road uh for for me and and other people like me to to be able to do what we're doing but the changes that have happened between the time that i started and now are are it's it's like I don't know. It's like going to the moon. Like it's uh, it's unbelievable how YouTube has changed it and everything. But when I started, there were there were gatekeepers. Like it was very hard to get on TV. You had to pass kind of quality control tests. You had to be like somehow you had to be like somewhat legit in some way. So you had to have some sort of a a background like tournament wins or some sort of notability or whatever but the network had to look at it and go yeah we can get behind this let that one on and even if you were paying so my road into it was uh i did my first show was with shaw grigsby uh bass fisherman one more cast and um we did a show on barracuda and i was kind of disappointed because i thought that you know at the time i was 99% fly fishing. And uh, so I really thought my first TV show was going to be something like, I don't know, a fly fishing show. But it was a bass fishing show. Turned out to be pretty awesome because that show was on TNN Network and it would pull almost a million people would watch that show. And this is how things have changed a lot as well. Um, there's nowhere, nowhere gets those ratings now. I mean, nowhere and so man my phone rang off the hook and i booked winter barracuda trips for years and that was a huge um it was a huge thing because first of all i was like man the power of tv is amazing like i have never and, and this was back when we <laughs> we had uh you know cassette tapes in your voicemail and it would be like a 90 minute cassette tape and it would be full and it's like that has to be a mistake and you start playing it's like hey i I saw you on shaw grigsby show the next message saw you on shaw grigsby show next message all the way through 90 minutes and my wife's like that thing's been ringing off the hook i don't don't know what you got to do with that but stop (laughs) you know stop it i'm like every one of those is a trip so then you'd have to call those people back but it really opened my eyes to the power of television so i was kind of interested in it i was like you know what it was kind of fun i liked i liked being on 
not not necessarily I like being on TV. I like the process of filming the show. I thought that was cool, and it was hard, and it was a it was another challenge. It was like okay, we got to go out and catch these fish that you want to catch. You wanted a twenty pound barracuda. We got to go out and catch this, but we got to do it with the light the right way, and we got to do it with a camera boat following us, and we got to do it in a certain time frame, and you know. I don't know. It was kind of like fishing tournament. Like it was, it was like, okay, I see. There's like all these, like, like in a fishing tournament, you have these different rules that you have to, you have to abide by these rules and you have to go for this fish in this time frame, and you can't do this and you can do this. And you, you know, it's just kind of an interesting thing that gets your head moving. So I saw that in the TV. And then later I was working with uh, Scott Flyrods. There was this concept that was being thrown around. It was this great outdoor games it was the ESPN Great Outdoor Games, and it was supposed to be this. They they were calling it the next big thing. I actually have the the posters right over here. But Lake Placid. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was in Lake Placid. Yeah, and, uh, that was where the first two were, and then it moved to Madison, Wisconsin. After that, but it, they were calling it the next big thing, and they wanted it to be like the Outdoor Olympics. It was a great idea, great way to 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 create content. It had like fly fishing, bass fishing, lumberjack events, dog events archery and target shooting so like competitive and fly fishing and so the way they found their contestants is they just went to all the different rod companies and he said who's your guy you know and scott fly rod said here this is our guy right here take take him so that's how i got in the thing i took it seriously i was like okay this seems like it's a big thing and so i had this friend greg allen in key west and Greg was like, man, that's a, that's a huge opportunity. Like, let's, let's get you ready for this. And so we would do charters in the day, and then we'd meet on the football field, and I would practice casting at, in, in, at night. And this was before I had uh, – I think I had – my son was a baby. But, like, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities at home, like, later when I have three kids. So I would just go there and practice, and I knew there was going to be a distance casting, and I knew that there was going to be accuracy. And so we'd set up all these different courses, and we'd just practice casting, distance casting, and practice accuracy casting. We practiced for three or four hours a day, every single day, all the way up until this competition. Went there, and sure enough, was able to win that first one. It was a, it was a pretty good thing. I thought it was pretty cool. But, but afterwards, nothing happened. Like, I thought okay, well, this is going to be the beginning of sponsorship. This is going to be, you know, take my career to a new level. Well, I'll get back to Key West and nothing happens. Like nothing. The phone didn't People ring. People still want to do Barracuda in the winter. Yeah, they want to do Barracuda in the winter. Honestly, nobody cared. And so I was like, wow, that is crazy. And I got this advice from, from this one guy. He was like, oh, well, you have to tell people. You have to tell people. They're not going to call you. You have to call them. I'm like, What? Like, this was a real foreign concept to me, but this guy helped me write a press release. I put this press release out there, and then the phone did start ringing a little bit. But I was kind of like, you know, I think this is a good opportunity. I, I'd like to do some more TV shows. And so I would somehow, I don't know, before the Internet, find out how to get in touch with one of these TV hosts or their production crew or somebody and say, Hey, I got a good idea for you. You come down to Key West. We'll do some tarpon fishing or permit fishing or bone fishing or whatever. We'll, we'll do a show and look, here's the, here's the hook. Like there was this, this thing, the great outdoor games. I won that. And so that's the hook. How did a saltwater guy win a freshwater trout fishing competition? And they were like, Oh, that's, that's great. I love it. Like there was some sort of story there. 
And man, they all came down. And so shortly, within a short order, I did about 30 different TV shows. And I really liked the whole process of filming the TV show. I thought it was really cool, like how you build a story and how you do all this. And so after that, we uh, I, I was fishing a ton of the, the Florida Keys tournaments. There was a new thing on the horizon, and it was this um, professional redfish tournament trail. And I thought, man, that sounds that sounds pretty cool. Not even actually really that sure why I thought it was so cool. But anyway, I wanted to jump in, and I was just doing a lot of tournaments. I enjoyed the competition, so I thought, well, that's the next level. I better try that. And it was a two-person team tournament. I did it with my uh, this guy that I was co- very competitive with in the Redbone tournaments in the Keys. His name is Rich Tudor. He's my partner today. We went and started to do these tournaments, and it wasn't long after that the 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 momentum of these tournaments was was pretty big. The first ones that we did were called the IFA, and then in short order, ESPN comes up with their own tournament. It's going to be on ESPN now. We were like, okay, now 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 we're talking. That seems like the next level. So we start doing both of those. Well, meanwhile, I'm leaving a full schedule in the keys to go pursue, you know, these these redfish in Texas and other things right in the middle of tarpon season. It wasn't really that smart to go try to win a $50,000 boat and split it between two people instead of taking triple half days or or a full day every single day in tarpon season it was a it was a poor choice but it ended up working out okay but we we had this one tournament in louisiana hurricane charlie came over key west my wife was there with my two boys she she um she was stuck in key west i was stuck in venice louisiana and the hurricane comes barreling over the top of key west and I, that's the most hopeless feeling I've ever had. I never want to feel that way again. And I just felt like I had abandoned my family and they were there and I couldn't do anything about it. So, man, I told Rich, we're putting this boat on the trailer tomorrow morning and we're leaving and we're not stopping till we get home. And I'm never doing another one of these again, ever, never. And he he didn't have kids at the time. So he was like, okay, well, I mean, it seems like we're doing okay. Like we got all the sponsorship and everything's going pretty well what do we do? And I'm like, look, I don't even want to talk about it for 500 miles. Like we're just driving. And I was just, you're doing that get home. whole, yeah. whole it's a long drive. And then, wow. <laughs> it's a long drive. So there's a lot of time to kind of cool off and then start talking. So he, he keeps asking these questions like, well, if we didn't do the tournaments, like what would we do? And I was like, well, I'm going back to Guiden and I'm never leaving my family again. And he's like, well, do you think that there would be a way that we could, stay with our families and still do something like what we were doing. And I was like, I don't know, man, I guess we could do a TV show. He's like, well, what do you know about doing a TV show? I said, I don't know, man, I've done like 30 of them. doesn't seem that hard. You know, I'm just thinking, I just got to get home, man. Just, just, let's just not talk for a while. Let's, I just want to get home. And, uh, then he keeps asking these questions like, well, what if we could stay at our houses and, and never leave and do this TV show. Would you want to do that? And I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd do that. And so we get home, talk about it some more. We formulate a plan. 
And it turns out that Shaw Grigsby was the one that helped us the very most. I told him, like, Shaw, I'm thinking about doing my own show. He's like, man, you'd be great at it. I tell you what, I'll give you my crew. I'll loan you my crew. Right you on. can go fill the, film the pilot because that's what you're going to need to do. And I had to pay his crew, but, but he let them work for me. And they helped us put together the pilot, which honestly wasn't very good at the time. We showed it to the Outdoor Channel, and they said, uh, back to the drawing board. You're going to need to go back and, and fix these things and you know change these transitions and do all these things. And we did. The sponsors were totally behind it. They, they got right behind it. Every sponsor that we had for the Redfish stuff, they moved right over. And we, had, we, we were off and running. And we were very naive, <laughs> but we were also very, willing to work very hard. And that's how we got the TV show started. It's been, it's been we're on sh- season 18 on Saltwater Experience, shortly after Saltwater Experience. At the time, Saltwater Experience was kind of unique because every other show was like a, a single host format, like kind of like Bill Dance, like talking directly to the camera. And that was cool, but that's how all the shows were. And when we first started our show, it was like, okay, well, this is a problem. Like, there's two of us. Like, what are we going to do here? Turned out to be good because we were like, we had this producer, Hop, and he was like, look, you guys never look at the camera. The camera's not here. You guys just talk to yourselves. We'll have this little interview section, and we'll have a two-host format, and it'll be great. And it was. You know, it, it was really good. So that show started to gain some traction. We thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if we had an offshore show like this? So we started another show called Into the Blue. And then later on, we started a, a show with a similar format in bass fishing called Sweetwater. You know, just kind of replicated the, the 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 original concept a couple times over. So I don't know. It's I don't have any formal education in it. I don't have. Uh, I, I, we've done a lot of things wrong. We've learned we've learned how to do it the hard way. Honestly, it's been kind of the the, the school of hard knocks, getting it done. What? But we're we're making it. What brought you into the modern times when you got into the social media and then a podcast? Well, it's just, just again, just like one step after another. It's like, well, what is, what is next? And you start to see the television's rate, television ratings drop over time. Like we were at one point, we were on OLN and ESPN on the same day. And that was like about 600,000 people were watching our shows on those two networks on a, on a single Saturday. Well, you know, f- 10 years later, those two channels don't even exist anymore. OLN has turned into Versus, which then turned into uh, NBC Sports. And the ratings just continue to drop and drop and drop. And I'm reading all these things about how, you know, people are cutting the cords and more people are changing the way that they're that they're um, viewing. And YouTube is on the rise and all this other stuff's going on. We're trying everything. We're, we're on YouTube. We're on Vimeo. We're on. I was in the middle of setting up a Roku channel. And then we started thinking, well, let's just put all our stuff on YouTube. But the problem with YouTube was that we had all these sponsors, and the sponsors are the way that we're that they're supporting the show. So when we put our stuff on YouTube, we were out of control of the of the sponsorship there. So anyone advertising, yeah, anyone could buy an ad right in front of the show, and for pennies, they're they're getting credit basically for a sponsor you know say it's a say we have yeti as our sponsor or whatever and and another cooler company buys an ad in front of it well 
that's not really cool yeah, to get conflict like, of interest yeah they they they're like that, that that's we don't really like this you know and it was in the early days of youtube so that but we couldn't control it there was just no way to control that and still to my knowledge today there's no way to control it so we were looking for a way that we could control the inventory protect the sponsor categories and that turned into waypoint tv and waypoint has uh has done real well but that was just the beginning of it about like just how do we create something where we can can where it's friendly to the producer because the producer you know walks this little line this fine line with the sponsors and without the sponsors the producer doesn't exist and without the producer the sponsors don't sell as much product and and really that all goes back to like conservation and without fishing shows and fishing personalities and and people that are educating and bringing people into the sport what happens here like all of a sudden there are no new anglers coming in well then there are very few people that really care whether the 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 health of a river is good or whether the stream flows are are high enough to support you know trout all winter long or or the okeechobee situation the water situation in the in the keys like all of a sudden if you don't have anglers hunters fishermen people that like to be outside nobody really cares and so that's where i see you know the the television producers the producers of good media the how-to people they're on the front lines of educating all of these new anglers and eventually showing them that if you really like fishing you really need to take care of the resource and so that's the underlying kind of theme behind waypoint and and creating a, a business model for everybody for podcasters for video people for filmmakers for bloggers writers anybody that is that is interested in the outdoors and is educating and inspiring people this is a place that they can be you know that's how i see it and and this is where the new angler should go and this is where the experienced angler should go to get all of this information you know so i don't know that's kind of how we got into that the podcast I just always liked podcasts. Like I've been listening to podcasts for a while and I probably wanted to, I mean, you started your podcast really early. You've got a lot yeah, of, it was a long time ago, 12 yeah. years ago, 12 years. You've been doing this. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Cause I've been seeing your podcast out there for a long time. What made you do it? I always wanted to be a writer. I used to sit and with a, a pipe in my mouth, unlit and a <laughs> hat and, and write stories in, in my dorm. And then I had this crazy summer after I graduated college, stuff I can't even talk about. And I was writing stories and I thought it'd be great. And then you got to deal with grammar and submitting to magazines. And then I did a, a drive home with one of the, we have, so WTOP, it's the largest radio station, probably listenership in the country. It does the news in DC, weather and traffic on the eights. And I wrote into them about a traffic incident and, one of their guys said, hey, you mind if I ride home with you one day and just record your commute? And I was working in an office. We recorded 30 minutes in the car. He played a little bit on the radio. And I said, you know what? Radio is easier than, than writing. So why don't I try doing this? And at the time, there was Zach Matthews and Wiley and Mike were out in Utah. So mm -hmm. I said, all right, I'll do one. And I was a high school teacher. So I thought I'd just break it down in separate episodes and go from there and and i don't even think people were listening there wasn't even really a way to to track people 
until I would be walking and somebody would recognize my voice. That happened in huh. Georgetown. My wife and I were walking along the canal and I said something and this guy just stopped and pointed at me. He's like, are you Rob Snow White? Like, yeah, <laughs> he's so like, I don't know your voice. <laughs> my wife just looked at me. She's like, that was really weird. Your wife is like, you have a face for radio. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I had somebody recognize my voice one time like that about the podcast too. Early on, like when I first started, I was in a restaurant and I said something and this guy taps me on the shoulder. Very similar to what you're talking about. I was like, man, your voice sounds so familiar. And again, same story, man. My wife is there and she is like, dude, this is weird. Uh, but but the podcast is is powerful man i i love the podcast now the people might not have been listening to your podcast in the beginning but they sure are now and all of those old episodes are being indexed so much better now like google can find them i don't know if you've noticed or not but if you google something like i was looking for one of my old episodes and i googled something and just to see where it popped up and it says like it had like this little box underneath it it was like key moments in this video and uh, well, there's a video podcast, which I'm, I'm sure you're putting out too, but it was like key moments in this video. And it was like these different things, like how to catch a bonefish, how to release a bonefish, all these different things that I didn't provide in the search engine, any of that. Like that is all AI picking those moments out. I don't know how it does it. But when I see that, I'm like, man, podcasts are super powerful because all of a sudden, whatever someone is searching for, is going to be super available to them and you can click that button and it'll take you to exactly that point in the podcast so that's all you have to listen to is that one little snippet have you seen that like it's, no but this makes me think that the terminator is not that far off <laughs> oh it's not it's not that far off and when you get an alexa or one of those devices in your house i think you bring it in even closer and invite it to come in yeah we, so we have an only child so when she gets up in the morning she talks to alexa <laughs> they just they just hang out. Alexa can tell stories, and she she does some gross things too. Wow, that's yeah, amazing. My daughter's very enthused with Alexa. Yeah, gross things. She'll fart. Alexa farts. We found Santa Claus farting. There's really? an entire clip where Santa talks and then has gas. <laughs> we don't know how we discovered it, but the three my daughter, my wife, and I were just speechless in the kitchen with laughter. That's funny, man. That is so funny. I have avoided those things in my home, but you know, voluntarily, I'm sitting here with a phone right next to me, so I don't think I've, I've avoided anything. I haven't bought an Alexa or installed any kind of device like that in my house, but I carry around a phone with me all the time. So, right, I don't think that I'm. I mean, I'm not naive enough to think that they're not listening. Whoever it is. And also, you talk about carrying your phone with you. It's easier for me to just walk around and listen to a podcast than I can to sit down and watch. I don't, I'm so busy. I can sit here while I'm tying and listen or right. driving to the river and listen or working on the trailer and listen to podcasts. Yep. And, and, you know, a lot of people are, are doing it at the gym or running or walking or hiking or, you know, doing all kinds of things. And a lot of people work jobs where they can listen to podcasts all day long and they do. You know, either having it on a YouTube thing where it's behind a window and they're working, but it's coming out of the speakers or they're just listening to it through headphones and, and doing their doing their job all day. Yeah. I mean, you, I, I love the podcast space. It's it's pretty cool. I think that that it's interesting that 
if you look at the stats right now, it's like 90% of the podcasts don't make it past the first couple of episodes. And I think a lot of people are getting really excited about the podcast, think it's really cool, and they record a couple, and then they get 12 downloads on each one of them, and they're like, ah, it's a waste of time, or, you know, what, whatever, whatever the challenge is or whatever the stopping point is, it's certainly happening to a lot of people. I don't think I even looked at how many people were, were listening for a long time. I was just having a good time putting them out and, you know, it just kept growing and it still grows. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's really cool. The, the, the feedback on the podcast has been better and more frequent than we've ever gotten on TV, uh, which I find interesting. Because the numbers, yeah. the numbers are way lower than what we do on TV, but the engagement seems to be much higher. And I think that when you talk to someone in their ear for, you know, two hours, they kind of feel like they know you a little bit better than if they just kind of casually watched you on TV. And I have clients bring up things that I talked about eight or nine years ago. <laughs> I have no clue what they're talking about. Yeah. And I've got to remember. I'm trying to like, what, what was that? Oh, yeah, that place or, or that fish or something. Right. Right. 12 years, man. You got to you got to be the uh you got to be the king. You know? Yeah, if you listen just how different my life has been now that I'm just old like being more adulting. We were talking about partying on the last episode. Like I'd rather just go fishing now and get a good night's sleep than anything else. Right. Yeah, the good night's sleep. That's that's uh that that one for me. I crave that. Like yeah. I want a good night's sleep. My Tempur-Pedic mattress, once I got that, that made a huge difference. Yeah. Now there's all the new mattresses, but yeah, I need a good night's sleep. And I, I can sleep anywhere. I guess I'm kind of lucky like that. I can sleep on a sofa or the floor and just still get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Well, it's a good way to, you know, be a be a, a, a fishing bum. You, you yeah. sleep on a I lot of couches do, and stuff like that. Yeah, I hope to do some overnights in the boat this summer. So I'm, I'm scaling back my guiding less weekends now. So I'm trying to get my daughter convinced to do an overnight camping trip on the Shenandoah River. How old summer. is she? She'll be 10 at the end of the month. 10. That's a good time. Yeah. Good time, man. I've got three kids myself. I've got uh, one that just turned 23, one that is 21, and a 17-year-old little girl. So two boys and a girl. My boys are both out at um, Montana State University. One just graduated, and one is uh, is a sophomore there. Man, they are they are in the fishing out there they call that trout you uh for anybody that is looking for a place to go to college that is the place man i mean they have the east gallatin river right there it basically runs almost right through campus it's incredible the school i went to is little but it was on the rappahannock river in fredericksburg and it's a migratory river of just stripers and shad and now it's full of snakeheads there's wow. gar and it was there's no industry on it it would run crystal clear almost every day five wow. six foot you can see down 20 foot holes with carp sitting on the bottom it's still relatively undeveloped around it and yeah i i unfortunately was studying too much to really get out and, and fish <laughs> yeah um well my boys somehow managed to uh well the one certainly managed somehow managed to graduate uh, with all of those distractions, elk hunting and and fishing and and hiking and camping and all the stuff that is so much fun to do out there, he managed to he managed to balance it somehow. I don't know that I could have done that 
at his age. I would have just gone fishing, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. And I also didn't really get into fly fishing as serious until I graduated. I went out the day I finished my last final and caught my first striper ever on a fly rod. And that's honestly what did it. I never wanted to spin fish again. And that's when I was like, I don't know if I want to be a biologist anymore. I think I'm going to fish. Nice. Yeah. That that day changed a lot of things. How long did it take you to get into guiding after that? I got a job at Orvis about five weeks later, six weeks later. And then people started coming in and just saying, Hey, take me out. And my first couple of days there, I mean, I, I, it was months before I felt comfortable even selling a fly rod or a line yeah. to people. And then yeah, people were like, hey, we've got a canoe. Why don't we you know, take us out? I was like, all right. Yeah. Chances are you knew more than they did. Yeah. <laughs> and there was one trip we went striper fishing at night, and I fell asleep on the way back. <laughs> but it was dark, and it was warm in the car. Yeah. It was an hour ride. I hope you weren't driving. No. I forgot even who those people were. That's I'm sure they, they could find me. Yeah. Actually, when I quit corporate life in 2010, one of my first clients, he just bought a bunch of cicadas from me. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's good to see his name. Yeah, it's cool to see, see people that you fished with a long time ago. Yeah. So are there any uh, bloopers and things that just go wrong doing the, the TV show and on your end of the podcast for me? We've recorded before and nothing has... There's been no file at the end of the recording. Oh, I did that. I did that with somebody that we just talked about on this podcast. Probably the king of all fishing podcasters. Uh, I went to Zach Matthews and wasted his time. Uh, We did a full episode, and (laughs) it was was on a computer. I didn't have, like, I had all this stuff that I don't even use anymore. I had this, like, this scarlet for whatever reason. It's like this little red box. I don't know. You're supposed to plug a bunch of stuff into it. Everybody told me I needed one. So I got one. I've got that and I've got my computer hooked up and I've got two or three other things going on. And I'm, I'm trying to talk to him and I'm trying to do all this. And it was one of the first podcasts I'd ever done. And so I was like, okay, I think that went pretty good. And so we leave and, and I get home and there's nothing there. Nothing it's like your gut just drops yeah but that was a good lesson it was a really good lesson because after that i was like look i don't even know what that thing is i'm getting rid of it i don't know what that thing is i'm getting rid of it i don't want i don't want headphones and a microphone i want it all together i want the simplest rig that i can possibly get and i and for a long time i was just using just a zoom recorder and these headsets this the the headset that I've got is a is a um, what is this? It's an Audio Technica. It has the microphone on it and the it's like what what you see people use on TV or whatever, like the the football announcers. It just simplified everything, and I never lost another recording. And I could just use batteries, so I could do them outside or I could do them on somebody's boat. And that just that was the best thing that happened, actually. Sorry, Zach, uh, if you're listening, which I doubt you are. Yeah, I felt bad about wasting somebody's time like that though that was not cool but as far as the bloopers go yeah there's lots of 
things that that happen we've never put that out like i don't know i don't think either rich or i are actually funny enough like bill dance bill dance is hilarious when he does his bloopers and my neighbors talk about this yeah i mean he's hilarious plus he's got he's got a whole team of people he's been working with for a long time so a lot of those bloopers are practical jokes that his cameraman played on him and yeah and i mean they're messing with each other all the time he had this cameraman named Timmy, and and when you watch those bloopers, he he trips, he, you know, he turns around, and there wasn't a tackle box there before, and you see somebody slide one in there, and he turns and takes a step and just <laughs> face plants it, and he's like, Timmy, damn it, <laughs> you know. Uh, but they were always messing with each other. He's got a good sense of humor, and he's funny, and he's just kind of a he's just kind of a funny guy, and I just don't think that me and Richard that funny to to put our bloopers out. Like it just looks like a, a you know. A, a, an old guy just fell in the water which maybe that's hilarious i don't know i don't i don't think it's that funny we've never we've never really collected those and put them out but there are some there are lots of funny things that happen but we've never we've never put them out i fell once i was telling the story yesterday i just took the wrong step and ended up in the potomac <laughs> and i had a, i came out just apologizing i knew i i dropped some f-bombs my client was maybe nine or ten <laughs> so i came out and it was cold i had my caps jersey on because it was the playoffs and it was 50 pounds of wet cloth my wellies were filled up i'm sure it was hilarious to anybody else watching yeah well i've i've done that too i don't at one time when you said that you just took a step and fell right in for one reason or another i i, I just wasn't feeling like totally there like i don't know if it's what people call brain fog or if it's just like you just don't feel yourself a couple of days maybe you're catching a bug maybe you're maybe you're just tired i don't know but you're just not feeling yourself your balance is a little off you're not you're just not you're just not 100 percent. and so i pick up my client run run all the way out to the marquesas it's you know 45 minute run out there we get out there it's nice weather stop in the middle and we're gonna just sit there and see if we see any tarpon roll and I stand up on the on the deck and just take a step right off the boat into the water. And I have never done that before, never done it since, and I can't even explain it. But that morning, I just didn't feel 100%. And sure enough, man, just walked right off the boat. And I felt like, I mean, we hadn't even, we hadn't even thought about fishing yet. This was the, literally two seconds after, after, shutting down shutting the motor down and saying okay well we'll just watch here boom right in the water like that's a that's not something that has ever really happened again but uh no cameras on that one that one probably would have gone in i did have a camera on uh on on one thing that kind of went viral for a little while and i was in australia and we were catching these these queen fish and the queen fish were actually record queen fish that we we turned in and i think we set a few tippet records there and then afterwards, we were feeding these queenfish to these what are called Queensland groper, which is basically a, 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 a goliath grouper. Like it looks like a goliath grouper. I mean, it's 500 pounds. It's a huge brown fish. And there were like six of them there. And one, you can see in the video, I go to feed this this uh, fish to this groper, and I'm holding it tight by the tail because they couldn't grab it. And then you can kind of wrestle with them a little bit. And so I was determined I was going to wrestle with this thing. But this one in the video, it slides under the boat like this, and I don't see it. And I'm looking at these two out here. And then this one comes from under the boat and just yanks me 
right out of the boat and uh, about ripped my arm off too. I mean, I was holding on to that thing, but it happened so fast. And I was kind of in a position where I was on my knees and a little bit off balance. And I'm, I'm looking at these and expecting nothing to happen. And this thing got, I don't know, six inches from the water and wham, this thing came out of nowhere. And that video started to get some play in the early days of YouTube. I don't know where it went now, but anyway, that's about my, that's about my viral fame. So I was going through some of your social media. There, there's a guy that drinks his pee. Oh yeah. Yeah. That one was, uh, that's the certified health nut. He's, uh, he's a dude out in California. He's, he's got some interesting ideas. You know, I like, I like health. I like fitness. I like people that are uh, doing things that are kind of a little bit different than than normal. I did not get him on the podcast to talk about drinking his own pee. I got him on the podcast to talk about some of the other things that he's doing, uh, like ice baths and these these breathing techniques that he's doing. And I do some something similar. But man, it got a little bit off track, and he started talking about drinking his own pee, and he started talking about. Uh, sunning his his butthole where and that's a thing i guess where you 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 know you present your your butt to the sun and apparently there's a group of people out there that think that's really really incredibly good for you and maybe it is i don't know never tried it but he was all into it uh but that dude he's all about it man he is he is going a million miles an hour and uh interesting dude interesting dude he used to be a versace model and uh i mean he had a crazy story man like i was a professional male model and then he now he's got this long hair and this big old crazy beard i mean he would be probably the last person on earth you would think would be a male model at some point in his life but you know he he had some health issues that he solved himself by doing things like drinking his own pee can't argue with success i don't know yeah you can argue with the method like he was talking about drinking his own pee but he was talking about peeing in a mason jar and then putting it under his bathroom cabinet for months and then drinking it oh so i i don't know like i worked with a woman who said that she got rid of breast cancer through breathing and speed reading or something and i was like okay listen man you can't argue with with success and who who are we to tell somebody that that it didn't work when when it actually did or maybe a combination of a whole bunch of different things worked she can attribute it to to breathing and speed reading fact is she doesn't have it anymore and you know that's that's awesome you know so i don't know i'm 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 interested in that because i do think that the human body is i'm fascinated with the human body like you the human body can take a tremendous amount of punishment through neglect or through um, lack of exercise, you know, people get just super out of shape, super fat, super unhealthy. And then for whatever reason, they can turn that all around. And a year or two later, you can hardly even recognize the person. It's it's yeah. absolutely amazing. I love those kind of stories. And, you know, you can also see that the human body is capable of doing things that are that are, you know, these these incredible endurance events and and you know on the other end of the spectrum where they just push their body to to the point that you would think that it would break but it doesn't and it keeps going and keeps going and keeps going so you know on the podcast like on my podcast it's not all about fishing it we talk about those kind of things and health and and you know aging kind of because 
I don't know. A lot of the people that listen to my podcast, I think, are are kind of my age. They're they're aging, but they still love to fish. They still love to hunt. They've got young kids that they want to hike and run around with and play. And I think it's super important to keep yourself in in good shape so that you can do those things. So that you can do those things into a into your eighties. And um, I mean, that's that's what I do do it for. You know, I want yeah, like to Joe be Humphreys. Yeah. Yeah, right. Like, look, that guy was, he's, he's, uh, he was incredible. He's so old that his grandfather was a Civil War veteran. Right. And he's He's out there still fishing, man. He's still fishing. And that's what I want to be doing. I want to be, I want to be fishing and hunting. I I just don't want anybody to, to tell me that I can't do that. Like, I want to, I want to, I want to go tarpon fishing. You know, the doctor would be like, oh, no, that's a really bad idea. I don't think you're going to make it. You know, I think, I don't just don't want to have to ask anybody's permission. You know, I want to try to stay in good shape. Luckily, I have some good genes. You know, my parents are 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 doing well. Uh, my dad's eighty three. My mom's eighty two. They both go to like yoga classes and stretching classes, and they're active and and you know they've been a good they've been a good example of of again what the human body is capable of if you give it a a, a, a minimum of care it'll really take good care of you long into your into your 80s and and uh and you can keep doing things like joe humphreys like that's super awesome there was a video that went around of him fishing recently and you know it's a real technical little spot and he he nails a huge one it was just so cool to see that like he's still at it that's awesome yeah and all the kids that do crazy stunts and stuff and film it those kids are not gonna be able to like you got to treat yourself right when you're young because you're going to be older longer. Yeah. You can't be getting hurt and doing crazy things because you want to be active when you're older. Well, yeah, I, I I agree with that now thinking, yeah, as an older person, like a 50 year old, like, yeah, that seems really stupid what they're doing. But man, when I was their age, like I tell my kids, you know, if, if there was one thing that I could um, take back, like, I don't really, I don't really live with regret. I don't, you know, what's done is done. It all leads you to where you are today. But if I could take back anything, it would be the barefoot water skiing that we used to do when I was a kid. And we didn't know anything about barefoot water skiing. There wasn't YouTube videos. All I knew is you should go as fast as you could possibly go in the boat and step off a ski and try to ski on your bare feet. And there were way better techniques, like we needed a longer rope, and we could have gone off a hydroslide. I took the worst falls over and over and over again. And you know, one of the one of the things that, about my athletic background is that I was a I was a wrestler, and that's one of the things that is has has attributed to a lot of the success that I might have had. But it also has its drawbacks, and the wrestler mentality is just never quit, never stop. No matter how bad it hurts, you keep going. Well, you shouldn't really, you know, it takes me 50 years to realize that you shouldn't really apply the wrestler mentality to everything. Like, that shouldn't apply to barefoot water skiing. Like, you shouldn't just take these horrible wipeouts and concussion-riddled wipeouts and get back up and do it again. Like, that's not what, (laughs) that's not the point. Like, that was stupid. I got a lot of unnecessary wear and tear on on my body when I was young because of that barefoot water skiing. But you know, kids are kids. You know those those kids that are doing those things and 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 doing 
doing crazy things and 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 kind of hurting themselves you know the young the young kid they recover fast man i mean you think about taking that fall at 50 uh it might not recover so quickly but a 17 year old yeah he'll be bounce right back new man good as new next week right all right i got some some extra questions for you now okay who's got the best sandwich where you are in tennessee in tennessee's best sandwich i'm gonna say that sandwich is in the form of a taco and that taco would be Edley's Barbecue. Yes. With extra adult. brisket oh and God. fried jalapenos. You got to go with extra brisket, though, because it's a little thin if you order it regular. But, yeah, I probably prefer tacos over sandwiches. But Edley's was good. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. good. I was looking at brisket today at Costco. I ended up getting ribeyes. Mm-hmm. And then I get to the checkout, and they're like, your card's expired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I just put it back on the shelf. I just, I went in and got contact solution and steaks. But yeah, Sounds good. good man. That was good brisket. Uh, yeah. What about down in, in your neck of the, in the keys? Best sandwich. That's yeah. going to be, uh, that's going to be the fried hogfish sandwich at fishery at keys fisheries in marathon. Marina. Yep. Yeah, man. Marathon, Not the lobster Reuben. The Bayside. They, they have a good lobster Reuben there. I don't yeah. particularly like Reuben's cause I don't like sauerkraut. So I don't, get a Reuben very often. My wife gets that sandwich and apparently millions of other people get that sandwich because yeah. that is the that is the, the 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 most famous thing on the menu. You know, they it says serve ten million or whatever. But I like the hogfish sandwich. Good fresh got, Cuban bread on top and French fries. It's awesome. I got chicken fingers there since I don't only fish. Yeah. <laughs> Now we, I grew up eating weird stuff. There was never seafood. I, I still don't look at fish and seafood. Yeah, we'll catch a stri- you know monster striper, and I'm like, all right, that's a picture. Yeah. But then if I see a chicken on a farm, I'm like, mm, mm, that looks good. I want that thing plucked and roasted? Or if I see a <laughs> pheasant, I'm like, I want to eat that. Yeah. But not fish. Yeah. Well, I like both. What's the best fish for filming? Hard to beat a tarpon, man. Hard to beat a tarpon. The best fish for filming. You know, the, the tarpon is good because they, they, a lot of times they come up on the surface and they bite. We catch them on live mullet. We catch them on fly. We catch them on lures. If you can get a tarpon to eat something on the surface and you can film, and, and it's in a way that you kind of know it's going to happen, that's pretty awesome. And then they're going to come flying out of the water. And then they're big. And, you know, that's all That's all really cool. Jack Cravel's. we did a Jack Cravel show this year, a dedicated Jack Cravel show, because I did a podcast with these scientists from FIU Fisheries. And they were, they were um, they have the first study on Jack Cravel's. And Jack Cravel's aren't studied much because they're not a food fish. And, in fact, a lot of people consider them to be kind of a trash fish. I think they're awesome. I love trash fish. I I don't think there is such a thing as a trash fish. Uh, Jack Creville saved many, many guide days uh, by going out and catching those and showing somebody a really good time. So we paired the podcast thing that we did and, and all that information that we got with actually going out and catching these these Jack Cravels. And the day that we actually went after those, this giant school of ballyhoo had been pushed into the around the Long Key Bridge and, and pushed into shallow water, and there were these... 15 to 20 pound jacks that i mean literally thousands of them and there were hundreds of thousands of ballyhoo and they were crashing into this ballyhoo 
so it was so incredible and i'll take a hookless plug throw that hookless plug out there and all you know you'll have 20 or 30 of these jack cravels chasing behind this hookless plug and and missing it and grabbing it and then being able to pull the hook out of their mouth and when we shot that in slow-mo that was pretty cool so i'm going to say it's a it's a toss-up between you know tarpon those jack cravels and maybe Maybe some fish that tails a lot, like a bonefish, maybe. Something. You need the camera to see something for it to be really cool. Okay. Do you have a good cure for poison ivy? You don't get in it. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the cure for poison ivy is to be able to identify it from at least six feet away and step over it. But, no, I don't really have a good cure for poison ivy. I did learn that um, poison something poison sumac poison oak poison something grows on a lot of trees where we deer hunt it has this vine that's as big around as a i mean it's it's big around two inches around with all this hairy looking stuff off yeah we have that up here holy cow three or four types of poison ivy it can be a shrub a vine a bush yeah well do not get near that stuff do not touch it i climbed a tree in short sleeve shirt to try to get my uh, tree stand up there and I had poison whatever that is everywhere I had to go to the doctor and get a get a, a, a steroid to calm the thing down before I could, I mean it was it was the worst I've ever had so I'm real careful now about just where I'm going what I'm you know if I'm in heavy brush I'm going to know what that stuff looks like and what to avoid. That's that's the number one thing. If you don't have any idea what's around you and you're just rolling around in the in the woods, you're going to get it, right? But if you're careful, like on a trail, you're probably not going to get a lot of poison ivy on a on a well-used trail. It doesn't like to grow where people are stepping on it. It likes to grow just off the trail. So if you know that's where it is, then just don't go there, you know? Right on. Do you have any superstitions when you're fishing? on the wave fishing while you're there yeah packing um, stuff for a long time i believed that nutter butters were mm. really really good luck chips ahoy were the worst luck still good still better than not having anything but not as good luck uh i had nutter butters when i won the the great outdoor games and then after that i kept them on the boat probably every day for about 12 years or more it, even if I didn't eat them, I had them with me. Now, I go on and off of the banana thing. I don't know. I have a friend, Anthony Randazzo. He's probably done 6,000 charters with a banana on the boat every single day. He catches more redfish than anybody I know. So hmm, I don't know that that is one. But I kind of figure, why mess with it? Like, if bananas might be bad luck, why why mess with it? And it makes so, people I mean- uncomfortable. Nutter butter, another thing I didn't have till I was a grown up. They had them at Orvis when I worked there after college. I was like, "What are these?" Oh, their first nutter butter. That's like, yeah. That's no, like, I grew up eating like New York stuff. Yeah, but, you know, it's got to be like from a new. Cause my dad's from the Bronx, my mom's from Long Island, so we ate, I guess, Entenmann's, mm. Fryhoffers, Entenmann's. They make a good coffee cake. I know that. And I used to work next to, I lived next to their house almost at uh, Ocean Reef Club. Oh yeah, okay. I worked there. Nice. Yeah long time ago yeah uh do you have a good florida man story uh, florida man 
Yeah, I was expecting the pee drinking dude to have been a Floridian. <laughs> uh, my my best Florida man deal was when we decided after a hurricane, we got our house all fixed up and we were going to build a swimming pool. And my wife found a swimming pool contractor. And this was my first uh, ever exposure to someone that did meth. I didn't know this was a long time ago. Meth wasn't really as as common as it is today. But this guy was on meth and he would show up and he would be the nicest, coolest guy ever. And then he would disappear for three weeks. And when he would show up, he looked like a different person completely. And I could not figure out what was going on with him later, realized that that it was meth. Ended up having to get a restraining order against him because he came and wouldn't he wouldn't finish the work. And then this other guy was going to finish the work, and he got super mad about it. So he went and cut all the plumbing out of the out of the pool that he had partially built. Anyway, he went to prison. That's my Florida man. But there's so many stories, so many stories of 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 people in Florida that do crazy things. If it's going to happen really weird, it's going to happen in Florida. And then when you when you go to Key West, you're going to multiply whatever happens just in the regular state of Florida. You multiply the, the likelihood that it's going to be really out there if you're in Key West. Now, my friend works for the uh, fire department in Key West, and he's got lots of stories about crazy things that have happened in Key West. But that's an entirely different kind, that could of, be the kind podcast. of podcast. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh. Do you have any plans already in written down or anything for July 4th? Mm. How do you like to spend your July 4th holiday? I like to, well, where I would like to spend my July 4th holiday is on the South Fork of the Snake River because that's traditionally when the uh, salmon flies are really cranking down there and it's a very special time. I don't think that I'm going to be doing that this year. This year for us is a transition year where my daughter is graduating high school. She's getting ready to go to college. We're getting ready to, um, I'm going to take her on a trip to Hawaii. We're going to explore and hike and do some stuff over there. That starts July 15th. So July 4th, oh no, that starts June 15th. So July 4th, we're just going to be getting back from that. Um, So we'll probably be just kind of, hanging out getting her stuff together this year but i'm like everybody else like i like i like uh i like a good fireworks show i think it's cool you know if you can get a get a place where you can see a see a nice fireworks show that's pretty sweet all right last and final question has there ever been anything when you're out in the open water you mentioned into the blue the, the blue water stuff maybe at night things you've seen that you just cannot explain mm. Yeah, I mean, there's been some there's there's been some things I've seen flying through the sky that I can't explain. I, I saw one thing that I actually could explain later, but at the time I was did had no idea what was going on. Turned out uh, we were tarpon fishing. Leave the dock at five. It's pitch black, dark. We run to a place where we're tarpon fishing. We're getting ready. We're just sitting there, kind of listening. And off in the distance, this light starts to rise up and and go and. Uh, it turns out it was a space shuttle, and I would have had oh, no cool. idea that you could see the space shuttle that clearly from Key West to Titusville. I mean, it it was remarkably close, and at the time, we were all like, what is that? There's no way we could see the space shuttle take off like that, but that's what it was. So that was kind of the a, a cool thing. I don't know. I mean, I've seen a lot of things that you just don't know what 
what they were. It's hard to even speculate, speculate because so many times, you know, when you're sight fishing or whatever, you, you see something and you're like, okay, that's a, that's a, whatever you're looking for, a tarpon or whatever. And then you get closer and closer and closer. And it turns out that it's either nothing or it's a different kind of fish or it's two fish sitting side by side or sitting, you know, head to tail. So no, not, not really anything that I, that I can't explain. I've seen some things that are, are scary like sharks eating other sharks and sharks eating tarpon and and just giant sharks coming by and checking out the boat and stuff like that i mean that's pretty that's pretty scary and at the time you know huge sharks and you're thinking man i don't know what kind of shark that was and now you know years later when they've tagged all these great whites and and you do see that the migration does go right through key west and sometimes they go into key west harbor and they're all right out in front of key west and they're all over the place they're up your way they're 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 right along the coast in south carolina and you just start thinking back about something that you saw a long long time ago and it was this huge thing was it a great white i don't know i mean at the time you're like there's no way we don't have great whites here but now, with all the data and all the stuff that they have, maybe it was. I mean, I, right. I don't know. But, no, I, I don't know. I see a lot of crazy things, but I'm, nothing that I can't really explain. Sorry. I, I, I do like the idea of, like, you know, Bigfoot and, uh, and, and Loch Ness Monster and stuff like that. But I haven't, I haven't seen one, unfortunately. Not yet. Not right. yet. I am with you. Thank you. Tom, thanks for coming on today. And, yeah, and I'm glad now to be part of Waypoints with you and a bunch of other super talented people right on man well, we're glad to have you i mean you're you're uh I, I i knew you had had a ton of episodes out there i've listened to a bunch of them you had some, a bunch of my friends on that i've listened to their podcasts and it's cool i didn't know that you've been doing it for 12 years though yeah. I mean, that's that's really awesome to be like so far on the on the front of of something like podcasting it's super cool so congratulations to you for for all of those years man Awesome. Thank you. I'm gonna have I got 20 minutes of peace and quiet before I gotta go pick the kid up. All right. Well, good luck with go. that. Yeah, man. All right. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Take All right. care. See ya. Bye. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite. Here comes an angry fart. Tom Roland does totally terrific toilet trumpets. Like this. Do you want to hear another one? Yes. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.